Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hello and welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Rachel, Metro's Lifestyle Editor, and on today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Georgie Barrett, a tech journalist and TV presenter who's best known as the co-host of Channel 5's The Gadget Show. We'll be discussing technology, social media, and how the intriguing but slightly scary world of AI might be impacting our mental health. But before that, I've been hearing from all of you. As always, you've been sending in your voice notes to let me know what you've been doing to support your mental health this week. I've really dropped the ball with my self-care, so I'm looking forward to getting some inspiration. My mental health hack is exercise. First of all, deep breaths is always a good shout. So I take lots of deep breaths, four, five, six, as many as I need or want. And second of all, another thing which I try to do every morning or when I feel I need to is just to lay down, just as relax as much as possible and only try to think of my body. So my body only and every part of my body from my head down to my toes and think about if there's anything that 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 my body needs and whatever I come up with then give it what it needs so Georgie you work with technology in some form or another every single day would you say that tech impacts your own mental health oh that's such a good question isn't it yes 100 percent you know, I just think technology now is the fabric of everything that we do in our day-to-day lives. Every interaction has usually got some sort of tech element to it. So I don't think there's a single person who doesn't own a mobile phone or go online that can't say that technology impacts their mental health. 
because, you know, it's something that we do day in, day out for hours and hours at a time. Um, and sometimes I think it impacts it in a positive way. And then other times it impacts it in a really negative way. And I guess as a tech journalist, you know, one of my jobs is to sort of just generally look at the trends that are coming and how tech is impacting us in lots of different ways down to, you know, what gadget we should buy next to sort of more, you know, looking at how it's going to change the way we socialize or, you know, our culture and things like that. And I cannot tell you, you know, the rate of change and innovation that's going on and how quickly it's changed really since 2007 when the first iPhone was released. And it's amazing. There are some really quite alarming graphs out there that sort of show, you know, the impact of mental health in correlation to when the iPhone came out. And, uh, you know, there, there were obviously other smartphones before the iPhone, but 2007 is quite a good point to have um, when you look back at, at when we started to interact with tech in the way that we do on such a regular basis. Um, and, you know, you look at these graphs and you, um, lots of things took a downturn from 2007 and onwards of people feeling lonelier, people feeling, you know, having increased anxiety, having depression, things like that. So the, the, the data already suggests that these devices can, can have detrimental effects, but also it can be incredible. And hey, listen, you know, we're chatting um, over the internet right now. People are consuming this podcast or maybe they're walking the dog or, you know, putting their kids to bed or whatever it may be. So like it enriches our lives beyond measure, but there's also these sort of downsides to it as well. Yeah, there are definitely, definitely two sides to it. We'll get onto the positives in a bit, but in terms of some of the negatives, what are some of the ones that you hear about in your line of work most prevalently and have any of them impacted you personally as well? Mm, yeah, so I guess the thing that I'm really interested by is the fact that these sort of tech companies make money or but more, more maybe the social media companies, they make money through your eyes being on their product. So it's all about trying to grab your attention and keep it there for as long as possible because they're ultimately wanting your data and they're wanting to be able to sell you advertising. So that's the aim of the game. So if you pretty much approach any sort of online platform as, as that's what they want you to do, then you see some really sort of clever mechanisms taking place that tap into some real primal things within us as humans. Um, you know, I think we've still got like the brains of our ancestors, but the temptations and the ability to sort of hook us um, have been supercharged through technology. So if you go back to sort of what we're hardwired to want to do as humans, um, we want to reproduce we want to connect with, you know, fellow people. We want approval from our tribe um, and we want to reduce uncertainty. These are like emotions that are like really core to many, many things that drive us, you know, from a psychological point of view. Um, and what the what tech companies have done pretty successfully is to sort of tap into those desires and very like primal emotions um, and, and, and try and just sort of maximize on that. Say, so, you know, you're wanting to reproduce, you've got the likes of, Tinder and things like that to being able to connect you to more partners than you could ever possibly, you know, want, want or imagine. Um, you know, connecting with tribes, obviously, that's all about social media and, and sort of seeking approval. And there's some, you know, really famous stories around the history of the Facebook like button and about how much that really changed the trajectory of Facebook when that came along because people were, you know, so seeking their posts to, to be liked and to, to sort of get that dopamine hit from stuff like that. 
And then, yes, you want to win approval from your peers. So again, that's all about comments and interacting online. Um, and a really interesting one is, you you know, as a human, we really want to reduce uncertainty. And this is a, a thing that I really find myself doing a lot, which is called maximizing, which is where you basically want to explore all the options of something to make sure that you are getting the best one. So this can be anything from, um, you know, trying to find your next pair of jeans or um, searching for a holiday online or finding, you know, the, what you want to eat that evening or whatever it is. You've got this sort of, un, you know, this this never-ending source of information online and you're constantly hunting out what the best possible thing could be for you. And and it's really a sort of never-ending game of it. And you always feel like somehow you've slightly missed out on something else because you're like, oh no, was that really the best one that I could have ended up with? It can be quite exhausting, can't it? These, these are all things that tech companies and, and social media platforms tap into because they obviously make money off it. And, you know, I don't think these these companies are, are bad guys. They just, they, they work in a capitalist society and they need to work out, you know, how best to get their product out there, how best for people to interact with it. So they're pumping, you know, a huge amount of research and resources into tapping into these sort of primal things within us. Um, and then it makes them highly, highly addictive. And, you know, you sort of you were speaking about like my personal journey, and I don't think it's unique. It's that feeling of like looking at how your relationship with your phone and how your relationship with these social media platforms makes you ultimately feel and makes you feel about your career, makes you feel about your family, makes you feel about, um, you know, how you should be spending your days. And so for me, it was that sort of, I would say the past sort of maybe since lockdown or maybe a bit before lockdown. So like three, four years, I've really been unpicking a lot of that stuff and trying to work out how I can use these technologies um, as something that can amplify the things that I want to amplify in my life and get myself in a really good headspace about stuff um, and how I need to reduce a lot of that noise and distraction that comes with it. Mm, yeah, everything you've said makes a lot of sense. It's almost like social media is like advertising on steroids because we've always been told that advertisers, you know, play on your insecurities. They make you feel ugly. So you buy more makeup, whereas social media kind of does that. But then with the comparison culture, I think thing as well, you almost touched on if you see someone else has got it and someone who's real, you know, with, with quote marks, they might not necessarily be real. You instantly think, oh, if they've got it, then I should have it as well. Are you immune to these kind of thoughts because you work in this sphere? <laughs> no, not at all. I have these thoughts all the time. Um, and yes, and I think the problem is, is also you're comparing yourself. So when we used to live in like tribes of 30 to 100 people, um, you could be the prettiest person in that tribe, or you could be the most successful person, or you could be the best mom or whatever it be, because you're only, you've got such a small base of people that you're comparing yourself to. And now you have literally the whole world that you're comparing yourself to. And you're almost definitely going to be attracted to accounts that, um, you know, hold some ideals or reflect ideals in you that you're trying to attain yourself. Um, and these people will be really good at showing, showing that aspect of themselves off, which is, you know, they're really good at taking photos of themselves or taking photos of their interiors or whatever it is that sort of, you know, you have an interest in. So you're no longer comparing to yourself to this sort of small group where you can easily rank yourself in amongst it. Instead, you just feel inadequate so much of the time because you're comparing yourself to, you know, these outliers. Um, but there's a huge number of people who don't do it to that degree. 
degree. You know, there's, there's, you're, you're, you're comparing yourself to, you know, the, the very top of the pyramid and you just don't need to do that. Now, listen, I say that and I think, I think this is, again, comes down to like a sort of being more mindful with how we approach who we follow and things like that, because there's a huge number of accounts that do almost exactly the opposite that, you know, make you embrace parts of yourself that you may have been ashamed of before or make you feel more empowered or make you be just a better person or realize that you don't always have to wear makeup or whatever it may be. And I, so it's all about being really mindful about when you're scrolling and being like, what, even though this person could be giving a really positive message, you know, and I really find this with, um, people who are sort of in my, in my, um, do the same sort of career as me. I'm not necessarily in tech, but you know, on TV and things like that, they can be the loveliest people and they really come across like that on social media. But there's something within me. Anytime I sort of consume their content, I get this like slight, like niggle. And I think, oh my gosh, why are they doing that? And have I done that? You know, am I doing quite that in my career? And all there, there. And even though on all appearances, they seem wonderful and it's nothing to do with them and the content they're producing. It's more to do with how it taps into an insecurity within me. And so thinking, okay, even though they're ticking all those boxes, I need to think about maybe not following them or muting them because, um, yeah, because the way they make me feel. And then when you throw sort of like AI into all of this and algorithms, where it gets very clever is that, you know, the people that you're lingering on as you're scrolling through or as you're going through Google or even just the way you're interacting with your device, you know, iPhones now have really sophisticated um, AI that will, as you pick up your phone, it'll give you suggestions of maybe what you want to look at or listen to. You may notice if you plug your headphones in, it could be like, oh, you know, this is what you were listening to last time. You may want to play that. So these are all algorithms that are based on your habit, you know, are based on like what you consume. And they sort of try and predict that and give you that before you go searching for it. But the problem with that is that you end up with this echo chamber of, of probably the content that isn't always the most nutritious for your mental health gets fed to you more and more because of the algorithms thinking that you like that because you're lingering on it or you're commenting on it or whatever it may be. And then you sort of get that repeated back to you. I'm glad you brought up AI because I wanted to ask you about that. It feels to me that we have had at least a vague awareness for a while that social media impacts our mental health because of the things we see and the way we compare ourselves. But AI is like this new beast that suddenly hit the mainstream out of nowhere. You've probably been aware of it for years, but for someone like me who's not as plugged into tech, I feel like 2023 is the year where things like chat GPT is in the news every other week and we're constantly hearing about AI in different forms. What are some of the ways it's being used that people outside the biz might not even know about? You know, in the 2010s and what I've sort of hinted at so far with technology, it was very much um, the algorithms were working out how to like get your attention and get you to interact with content. Um, and there were some obviously negative repercussions of that, um, specifically looking at like election data and fake news and how um, the algorithms would basically amplify outrage because that would get clicks more and, you know, fake news gets clicks more. So then the algorithms start to um, push that stuff further down the road. What we're starting to see with generative AI is that we will soon, and already it's sort of happening, you, you will struggle to know whether you're interacting with a human or whether you're interacting with AI, specifically on chat-based platforms. So if you're, you know, have online friends that you're just messaging 
Um, and what that will enable some people do, it can be used in really positive ways, but in some negative ways, is that you can develop human intimacy with somebody and then you can like feed them fake news. That's the sort of the next iteration of AI and these social media platforms that could be negative. But there's also a really positive side to that. And there's another great example of a chatbot called Replica. So you download this app and you basically set it up as your AI friend, which again, sounds a little bit odd on paper. And you'll think, oh, is this really going to be the future of people just interacting with chatbots online? But, you know, ultimately it will be a, a messaging based interface that allows you to explore your feelings. It can give suggestions of what you could do. It could give you hints and tips on how you could improve your mental health. It, you know, it doesn't forget stuff. It can create that feeling of connection and and that there's, you know, something out there that's sort of recording your data and, and, and using it in a way that can help you sort of go on a journey to feel better. So, yeah, so that's, that's a really interesting chatbot called Replica. Um, and then there's some other really interesting uses of AI um, when it comes to working out, sort of when it comes to diagnosing mental health stuff. So there's a startup called Thymia, which uses um, a combination of a game that people play um, whilst using um, recognition. So you, within the game, you speak a bit and also you turn your camera on so it can see you on camera. And through that, and using these really sophisticated AI algorithms, it can work out whether you're suffering from a mental health condition, from like um, depression or ADHD, um, and it has a 90% accuracy so far. Now, it's still in like quite early stages. As with all these things, the more data these these algorithms get, the better it gets, the more accurate it gets. And, you know, currently GPs misdiagnose mental health cases by about 50%. And they don't even do it as a sort of general screening. And especially as we move to um, appointments being more and more virtually, um, you know, if, if, if let's say you did this as, a, you know, every time you had a GP appointment that was just done over camera also had an option to just sign up and play a couple of these games. And it just then screened you for mental health problems that you could be suffering. And, you know, we'll just be able to catch that so much quicker and it'd be able to help you, you know, be forwarded it onto the specialist so much, um, so much quicker. So, yeah. And also it's a really useful tool that's being used, um, actually drawing the process by clinicians to see, you know, whether particular drugs are helping. And, you know, this obviously gets used alongside just answering questions on, on how you're feeling, but really interesting use of that that technology um and then in in sort of five ten years time you're going to freak out at this but um already it's being developed which is looking at brain wearables so what kind of things will be literally sensors that will be able to read our brain so whether that be um you know literally the earbuds that we'll be wearing or you could have a sort of some kind of wearable headband or you could have a even transfer tattoos they're looking into which can pick up your um brain activity and again just some really interesting use cases of, of well insight allowing you to you know know how to improve your mental well-being but also help with diagnosis help with just just generally changing our brains for the better the likes of meta and microsoft are already working on this so this is this is technology that will definitely definitely come um, and ultimately what i think we'll move towards 
is that we won't have like our phones, which we will look at so much or uh, like screens that we'll be interacting with. Instead, we'll have all these wearable devices that will allow us to interact with the world a lot more instead of sort of looking down at our screens. And we'll do that through a combination of having like wearable like contact lenses or glasses, gesture control and voice control. So the world, so you'll sort of be looking out around you, be using augmented reality technology, which is where you overlay digital images on, on, on the on the world to allow you to sort of be able to see the equivalent of your newsfeed or whatever it may be. Um, so yes, brain sensors are where we'll be eventually ending up and we won't have mobile phones that we'll be having to put away. It very much sounds like something out of science fiction, the idea that people would be having contact lenses with information in front of their eyes or, or you know, as, as you say, being transported to another world around you. To me, I guess my ins- my natural reaction is to say, God, no, <laughs> I don't want that. For me, it's so nice to go for a walk and like leave my phone at home sometimes just for that freedom. Do you think people will embrace this stuff or do you think there will be a bit of hesitation? Well, I think already. So how, how long, how many hours a day do you spend looking at your computer screen and your phone? You know, it's probably like averages, maybe six or seven, something like that. Yeah. Like, like a huge, huge chunk. Yeah, exactly. A huge chunk of your day. Um, and I guess instead of sort of seeing those technologies as, as stopping us interacting with the outside world and things like that, actually seeing it more as being able for us to be a bit more present and not be so focused on one screen sat in one area. Instead, you know, you would be able to walk about the place or um, have meetings that are more interactive than just, you know, so, you know, video, video calls and meetings have really revolutionized the way we work. But when we look at, you know, technologies like virtual reality, um, how that sort of really gives you a sense of being with another person. So let's say we would be in two different locations, would have these sensors on us, and we would be in the VR, you know, wearing our VR headset. I would get such a better sense of you as a person. I'd be able to see whether you're sitting with your legs crossed. I'd be able to see like you moving with your hands a lot more. I would feel whether we are getting like closer together or further away. Like we really would, would inhabit this third space together, which just actually amplifies the human connection instead of sort of makes people feel lonelier. It gives us a real sense of that we have met and we have been in the same room together. Now, all of this, you have to say with the fact that, you know, you hope that this will never be like a replica for meeting in real life and hanging out with your family and, you know, actually um, doing the things that really nurture your soul and mental health, which is that face-to-face human touch, human interaction. Instead, I'd like you to think that, you know, any WhatsApp conversation or any time that you're using technology currently to interact, which probably equates to a huge number of hours per day, if you did that in a way that felt more human and, and actually sort of tapped into some of those those feel-good factors a bit more, then maybe you'd feel less, you know, nervous about using that kind of technology. That's such an interesting way of looking at it that I will admit I've not thought about before, actually, because I think perhaps, you know, I feel like a slight Luddite saying this, but like a lot of people, my first thought with all these AI things, especially the chat box, myself being a journalist, they're going to replace us. What if they can do it better than us? How are we ever going to make any money? There are, I, I don't have any clear answers. I don't think anybody knows how it's quite going to pan out. What we do know is the job market will look completely different in 10, 20 years' time. But we 
are very adaptable creatures. We're very good at working out, you know, what, what the sort of, you know, how, how we can make money and, and what the different trends are. And I think what we'll see is that the jobs that we can't even think of right now are going to come around um, in, in that time. So there'll be a whole new job market that we can be part of. Um, and I think this is a really, really important question, which is like, you know, where do we, so let's say all the jobs in the world could be done by AI and we never had to work and we got some kind of universal income because there was enough, uh, you know, food and money and wealth being created through the AI algorithms that everybody could live a really happy life. Where do we get, you know, satisfaction from? Where do we derive meaning from in our lives? Like what does work mean to us? And what are the aspects of work that we really enjoy and get kicks out of and how do we like learning and you know all these things that um if you never had to work another day in your life what would you do with your time and maybe you would still want to create content in some way or you know be a journalist in some way um or maybe you wouldn't but I think those are the questions that we're going to really have to work out what we want to do um and what I hope ultimately because I'm an optimist is that you know tech will be able to take away the parts of the work that you don't enjoy so for example I don't know Rachel, if you get stuck when it comes to writing an article, you just don't know like how to get the ball rolling. You use something like ChatGPT or an AI tool like that to sort of just get you going to not give you a blank page, and then you go through, you tweak it, and then maybe you'll have a creative idea, you'll input that. Maybe you'll ask another AI generative tool to create an image for you that would work well with the article. You can put together a little video that would go alongside it. That's all just sort of generative AI. So you use these tools in a quite a creative way that still appeals to what you enjoy doing as a journalist but it takes some of the the sort of the the difficult work out of it um but listen i think as we transition to this there will be people that will be left behind and there will be people that will lose their jobs and and find it hard to find other work that would be quite similar to the work that they would be doing but i think ultimately ai will take away three d's of work which is dangerous work dirty work and dull work so those would be the first jobs that will go. And I, I would argue many of those jobs a human doesn't really want to do or doesn't aspire to do or it doesn't give them that much satisfaction in life. So if AI can do that and then we can still keep the jobs that give us sort of meaning in life and stuff like that, that's that's what I hope for. But listen, who knows? It's a, it is a scary thought at times. Yeah, I do like that framing though. If it can take away basically the things we don't want to do, then uh, bring it on, maybe, she says tentatively. Do you have any tips for interacting with tech in a way that's really nurturing for your mental health instead of detrimental to your mental health? Yeah, so I guess, first of all, it's all about looking at, um, I mean, I'm going to just say phone because that probably is the main um, interface that you use when it comes to being distracted. So I'll just give all my personal examples of what I've done over the past couple of years to slightly reinvent my relationship with my phone. So first of all, you need to create like speed bumps, I call them, of the way that you automatically flip open certain apps or scroll on the news or scroll on your social media feeds when you don't actually want to do it. Like there is obviously always a time and place to be doing that stuff, but you want to be doing it in a sort of concentrated period of time instead of throughout the day, as soon as you get bored or as soon as you approach a different task. So um, the way you can do things like that is, um, first of all, you can very simply rearrange your home screen and, and hide apps in certain folders and things like that. So 
it's harder to like get access, you know, to when your finger is on like autopilot, it doesn't just flip through to it straight away. I've removed all notifications for my phone. So I only get a notification if somebody's calling me. Um, and also for my um, front doorbell, if I get a notification for that, because I don't tend to scroll on my front doorbell for hours afterwards after the notification has come through. I, you know, make sure that I group my time together. And I'm not very good at this. Listen, this is sometimes where sometimes not, but I have like, set times where I try and reply back to all my WhatsApp messages in one like or like reply back to all my emails in one good go. So I have creating space within my day to get into a nicer flow state when it comes to work, which means you need to really not have your mobile phone there, not have your notifications popping up on your computer. So you can just get stuck into a task and really enjoy that task and be concentrated in it. And you know, what people call that state flow. And it's a really nice, meaty thing to do with your day. You feel really satisfied afterwards. Um, but the only way to do that is if you really remove all, all devices and, and, and notifications from that. Um, and then I just have a couple of rules that like if I'm out in a restaurant and my like husband or whoever goes to the toilet, I will never get my phone out at that point. Or like if I'm like walking in a place which is you know like not just walking to the tube but somewhere that's beautiful or that it's a lovely sunny evening I'm really like being in the moment now the moment is sort of interacting with my surroundings a lot more you know instead of like trying to multitask or order something on Amazon when I'm on the move which by the way I love technology for you know life is busy and it really makes me efficient at so many things so like I'm not against doing that stuff it's just about knowing the time and places being like this is one of those boring journeys, like it's like do a million things and have my head glued to my phone the whole time. And there's other journeys where I'm like, oh, I'm actually feeling quite good about, you know, work at the moment or whatever it may be. I'm going to look out the window and listen to some music and like really amplify that feeling more. And then, yes, I'm, and then there's this maximizing side of things, which is, you know, when you're overly Googling something or like you're trying to find the very, very best. And often I just think, Georgie, it doesn't have to be the best. Like, Georgie, you're doing that thing where you're trying to find the optimal thing and it's it, like that's a never-ending road to go down find something that's good enough and 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 don't and stop googling it don't you know take that as being like well done you, you found it and don't think that there's something else better out there because you know there, there probably will be and you can't live like your life like trying to find that that perfect thing every single time um so yeah th- those are those are the sort of systems i have in place yeah these are all really great tips i think for us to use all of the time but especially if you've got something extra going on in your life that's making you feel more vulnerable to using your phone in an unhealthy way I know you have spoken about feeling that your relationship with tech maybe was slightly skewed when you were trying for a baby do you mind telling us a bit about that yeah absolutely I mean this is just the classic um social media thing where the people who are posting have no no realization um, that it's triggering you in some way and I think that's where it always gets very confusing because you are reading these lovely posts about mums being mums or being pregnant and it really it really comes from a good place and you're thinking well of course I'm not going to unfollow this person but I found out when I was trying for my little girl who I now have and she's a year and a half that's you know happy ending but like it took a long time and I found out I had polycystic ovary syndrome when I was doing it so just means that you have like subfertility and I really really thought it'd be easy for me to get pregnant and that sort of that process of of trying not getting pregnant and then finding out that there was something wrong there I just found really unsettling and 
it's like the first time in my life where I felt very out of control from it and I, I didn't know what the answer was and you just get into such a spiral of trying and I mean, anybody who's tried for a baby will recognize that it's like such a mind game as soon as you start thinking that you want to go down that route. Um, and I really found, you know, being on Instagram where there's lots of lovely content of children and mums and stuff like that, that I, it would just make me feel so bad about, about it. I just had to unfollow it. I had to take time out from it. Um, I also, you know, it's hard. It's hard, like even on WhatsApp, that we have a lot of people interacting with you and um, lots of friends sort of expecting you to sort of be on the whole town. And, you know, they can have babies or they can be announcing news and it's sort of working out how best manage those relationships. Um, and I'm very conscious now, like if anybody of my circle is trying or anything like that, or even when I did get pregnant, you know, how I go about announcing that to the people that I know are still on that journey because it's, it's really hard. You can't avoid it. You definitely do stuff to protect yourself a little bit more from it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think it will resonate with a lot of people because I know that side of things can be really difficult. I know also, you know, friends who are single hate seeing all the weddings if that's something they want or, you know, if if there's a career that you want. And as you said earlier, if you're following a lot of people in that career, that can be difficult. So I think it's about like recognizing your own sore points or your own triggers at the moment and then just doing what you can to look after yourself yeah but it's everything isn't it it's like interiors it's holidays it's what clothes people are wearing it's the festivals they're going to it's what how, how they're cooking their dinner that evening like there's so many things that it can just it's sort of like death by a thousand cuts that you just gives you this slightly uneasy feeling even though it's like oh that's so inspiring I could make that birthday cake but you're just like oh god it never looked like that and how will I get the ingredients and you know like whatever it may be it's just like these things that we're constantly um ideals that we're constantly trying to live up to yeah definitely well you are a mum now as you mentioned how do you imagine technology will impact your daughter's life so she's one and a half did you say oh my gosh what's that gonna look like for her I know it's something I think about a lot I firstly yeah, just on a very random note I don't think she'll ever learn to drive because I think autonomous vehicles will be fully around by by the time she's sort of 18 and there's a part of me that's quite grateful for that so she won't get into any friends cars the only ai who's like way safer than any human when it comes to driving um what i sort of hope so i what i have to go back to and i think this is this going to be applied to everything that we've talked about so far is that ultimately like our brains are, aren't going to change so we're still going to get the same you know fundamentally the things we know about our happiness and things like that we're still going to get the same hits from the same things and and all I can do is as a mum is to just sort of teach her you know guiding principles that she can apply to all areas of her life and just hope that that is enough to give her you know enough sort of self-love and a, a really sort of grounded base that whatever gets thrown at her throughout her lifetime when it comes to AI or when it comes to um you know social media or the way we use technology that she will have a, a sort of inner compass of what feels good and what doesn't feel good and be able to try and work out how to amplify the things that do that and, and sort of decrease the things that, that make her you know, not feel like that. I think the other big one with you know, AI is making sure 
we don't um, use, you know, it'd be very easy to add. So imagine with your Alexis that you've just asked for the weather at the moment. So the next iteration of that is that you can start to ask them for advice, a bit like what I was saying earlier with, with the replica chatbot, is that they'll be able to give you advice on like maybe where to study at university based on your likes and dislikes or um, whether you should dump that boyfriend or whether you should take that job or will actually start um, giving us sort of life advice a lot more. And I have to say, I think that it will probably be quite good at it because it will come from a pretty big data standpoint and it will have a lot more information than probably the careers advice lady that you spoke to about like what you do when you're older or, you know, your one friend that you went to Nottingham University and said, oh, you should go there. So it will like, actually have a lot more data that you would be able to give it. If that's pretty accurate, then you, I think, can very quickly like start relying on that, that information being handed out to you. You know, so you're like, you know, should I go on this holiday, or should I buy that top, or should I do this? You're sort of basically outsource all of these decisions to uh, your personal assistant. You will get it right most of the time, but you know, taking away that sort of decision making or that autonomy. Where does that leave us and where does that leave us, you know, when it comes to feeling satisfied by things or feeling like you've, you know, come across something by chance or serendipity or all that side of things. So, yeah, I think it's a minefield and um, specifically, I guess, when it comes to Isla, it's a case of giving her just a really good, solid foundation of what, uh, you know, what she likes and dislikes and following through with that. And then, um, and then putting in parameters around stuff that is highly addictive, you know, where you're not just having to use willpower to stop yourself from using this technology. It's actually finding, um, you know, realizing that these companies are spending millions of pounds making them addictive, whether that is video games or platforms or, you know, being on, on the phone or whatever. And I'm being like, listen, I need to help you work out parameters for this because um, it's like junk food. It's like really easy to fall in the trap of, of like consuming it all the time. So let's, you know, let's let's realize that like splashing in muddy puddles and getting out to fun kids stuff is way more fun. Um, mixed in with the tech because the tech can be really good fun as well. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of both sounds like a good idea to me. Um, we've covered absolutely loads, but I've got one final question for you that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that's what's the most important lesson that you've learned about mental health that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think for me, the most important lesson, let's, you know, just sort of building on that point that I was doing, it is about realizing what your inner tummy, the, the sort of the, the feeling you get in your stomach so often um, as you go about your day to day life. And really being tuned into that, whether something makes you feel good or whether something makes you feel a little bit off in whatever shape or form, and then making the changes to follow through with that. So knowing that I'm getting a little bit like scratchy because I've been on social media for too long or knowing that like if I procrastinate anymore, I'm going to really feel like today's not being productive and and then trying to really shape your behavior around that inner feeling. So yeah learning to really trust that gut instinct um and 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 making changes around that great you heard her trust your gut georgie thank you so much for joining <laughs> us it's mentally 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 yours mentally yours mentally yours thank you so much to georgie for being our guest this week on mentally yours If you've been affected by anything you've heard today, please call the Samaritans on 116 123. 
You can find us on our Facebook group, Mentally Yours, and on Twitter at MentallyYRS. And get involved. Please tell us what you've been doing this week to look after your mental health. Message at Pineapple Audio Production on Instagram with your voice notes. Thank you all for tuning in and don't forget to follow and review for more podcast episodes coming your way soon. Mentally Yours is produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.